0: Did you know that the average attention span of a goldfish is nine seconds? Now, you know how I know that? Extensive research. No, I'm just kidding. Because someone else did extensive research, apparently. I read about a study that was done a few years ago that said that the average human being's attention span is now eight seconds, and so is less than that of a goldfish. And that study went on to say that our attention span collectively has been decreasing since the year 2000. It's seen a dramatic decrease. Why? What in the world is going on that is causing our attention span collectively to decrease to be less than that of a goldfish? Well, I think you can probably imagine that the digital environment that we exist in today is the primary reason for the decrease in our attention span. What happens is there's so much information coming at us every single day. If you're on the internet, if you're on social media... Even honestly through the the news, cable news, whatever it may be, the television, there's so much information coming at us every single day that and it's coming from every direction. We have a hard time figuring out what information is worth digesting and thinking about and what information is superfluous and we need to just forget about it. And so what we do is we look at something for a few seconds and then something maybe a little more interesting pops up. And so we shift our attention over to that and then something else pops up and we shift our attention over to that. And what's happening is we're training ourselves to have short attention spans. And so what that does to us as we habitually train ourselves to only look at something for a few seconds is that means that as we see information rather than digesting it and being able to use that information our interaction with all types of information ends up being at a very surface level and so we're never really able to think through things very deeply we only get a surface interaction with them And so we're training ourselves today to be shallow listeners, and we're training ourselves to be surface-level thinkers. And the scary thing about this is most of the time, we don't even realize what's happening to us. It's like the water we swim in, and it, it just happens to us slowly over time, and soon goldfish are able to pay attention to things better than we are. And of course, if you're a believer, this type of training and this sort of habit is incredibly damaging to your spiritual life. It's damaging to us because of what this passage that we started studying last week and we're going to conclude studying today has to say to us. This passage demands that we move from being shallow listeners to being Deep thinkers and those who pay careful attention to what we've heard. And so what you do during the week really does train you to listen on Sunday morning or to not listen to God's word. We have to be people who go from a surface interaction with scripture to being able to think carefully and apply the word of God deeply and passionately to our lives. So if you're not there yet, you can open up to Mark chapter 4. Last week, we started started studying this passage, one of the most most familiar parables. And we're introduced to this idea of parables in Mark 4 and verse 2. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And here, Jesus tells this great little story about a sower going out to sow his seed And the way that the seed lands in different types of soil and what happens when the seed lands in those different types of soil. Really, I think I told you last week, this is all about the soil. And so we're going to rename this the parable of the soils. And as we're studying this, the soil teaches us about the different responses that people have to the ministry of Jesus. And again, we've seen this already in the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to continue to see this as we study the Gospel of Mark. So... As we study this section, last week I told you we're going to see four ways to ensure a proper response to Jesus and his ministry. So we're reading this and we're turning the lens toward our own interaction with the Word of God. And we're thinking about the ways in which we listen to God's Word. And so four ways to ensure a proper response to Jesus and his ministry. The first one of those ways in verses 1 to 9 is to listen Jesus starts here, especially in verse three, gets a setting in verses one and two, Mark does. And then verse three, he starts the actual parable and he gives the parable without any interpretation. But if you remember last week, he begins the parable with a command, listen. And then if you look down at verse nine, he says, he who has ears to hear, and then it's another command, let him hear, listen to what is being said. And so this is the baseline response to Jesus. This is where we begin. We listen, and it's not just hearing the sound waves. It's active engagement with the Word of God as it's being read or preached, or however it is that you're interacting with it. It's an active engagement with the Word. This moves beyond a shallow listening to something deeper. And that's what we find in verse 10, and that brings us to our second way and it's received the, there were certain disciples who did listen and they didn't really understand everything and so in verse 10 they come to jesus for greater knowledge of what's going on verse 10 and when he was alone those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables and so they come to him and they're seeking to understand what's going on here which is a good response if you don't understand And so Jesus goes on to tell them that understanding is actually a gift from him. Look at verse 11. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Understanding is a gift that is given by God. But then Jesus turns the attention on those who haven't come for clarification. And on those who we've already seen in the gospel of Mark have said, Amazing, outrageous things about Christ. His ministry is he's out of his mind. He's possessed by Satan. The crowds who are amazed at his miracles, but aren't really interested in his teaching. All of those responses. Jesus says to those people, look at verse 11, but for those outside, everything is in parables. Why? Verse 12, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand lest they should turn And be forgiven. And so you remember there's this this setup here when Christ preaches in parables where those who have good soil in their hearts will respond in faith and who will come to Jesus for further clarification and will believe in order to understand. And then there are those who have these other types of soil in their hearts who will reject Him. And that is, that is done specifically, and that's why Jesus teaches in parables. And so, really, the whole purpose of teaching in parables is to expose the soil of people's hearts. And that brings us to Christ's explanation of the parables, of this parable in particular, in verses 13 through 20. And we'll have two more ways this week that we need to ensure a proper response to Christ. And this third one is found in verses 13 to 19, and this is, interestingly enough, it's reject. And by this word reject, I mean reject the faulty soils. So there are certain soils that you don't want to characterize your heart, and the way for you and I to ensure a proper response to Christ is to reject, to be aware of and to reject these soils. So, Jesus is going to explain the parable here. Look at verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So in other words, what he's saying is, listen, if you're going to grasp my teaching, which is going to be done in many ways, a lot by a lot of parables. If you're going to grasp my teaching, you need to understand what I'm teaching here. You need to understand and start with this parable. And so I think I told you last week, this parable is a parable about how to understand parables. (laughs) That's what it's doing. Jesus is saying the way to really understand my teaching is to have good soil in your heart so that you can grasp the parables. And now in verse 14, he gets to his very clear explanation of what's going on here. Verse 14, the sower sows the Word. You can see here he he starts his explanation by, by telling them that it's all about the Word of God. This little story that he's just told about a sower going out and the seed and soil and the different types of soil, this whole thing is centered on the word of God. It's primarily about how you respond when God speaks through his word. And as he starts this way, focusing our attention in his explanation on the word, I thought about how to explain this to you and how to try to get your attention here and help you to understand the significance of this whole thing being about the word of God and how important the word of God is in our lives. And so I thought, well, what I could do is I could spend the next few minutes Reading passages of scripture that talk about and make it absolutely clear how important the Bible is to our lives. And they stress how God's Word is light and it's life for us. And we can't live without the Word of God. And there's so many passages like that that I could sit here and I could read to you over and over again and, and just let the Word do its work in your life. And I, on the other hand, I feel like in some ways, I don't even really need to stress how important the word is here. I mean, you all gathered together this morning, among other reasons, to listen to 40 minutes of explanation in detail of the word of God. So I get it. You value God's word. That's one of the reasons you chose to come to church here. You want to hear from God's word. You want the Bible to be explained by someone who spent is weak seeking to understand it and then give it back to you you chose to come to church here because god's word is hopefully faithfully taught here and has been over the years but what i want you to understand about this this morning is maybe we have the right grasp of what the word of god is and we know in our minds how important it is but there's a difference between knowing how important the word of god is and really knowing how important the Word of God is. And what I mean by that is, there's a difference between knowing that the human, needs, the human being needs water to exist and having been in the desert for three days and knowing that a human being needs water to exist. And a lot of times, our understanding of how important the Word of God is, is that first one. We know it. It's true. If someone asks us, we say, absolutely, you need water to exist. But there's a difference in having experienced a real dire need for water and understanding deep in your gut and in your soul and in the the totality of your being and experience just how how important water is to your daily existence. And I would love for through this parable for God to move our knowledge of our understanding of the word from the first to the second. So that it is something we know without a doubt deep in our guts. I need God's word every single day. A couple of passages I will read to you. Paul says this, First Thessalonians. And we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but as what it really is. It's not just something that someone else is telling you good advice. It's not an opinion. What it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. James 1, 21. Sorry about the reference there. There, The verse is right though. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. That's the power that God's word has in us. Psalm 119, 130, the whole chapter, Psalm 119, you could sit and read. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. And so this whole thing this morning Your understanding of this is based on your grasp of how important this book is to your daily life. The sower sows the word. Now, how will you respond? Before we get to these first three types of soil here, I want to take just a minute and talk about which one of these soils are describing believers and which are describing unbelievers. It's a question that you may be wondering as you read through this. Okay, the seed, the word gets sown. Some of the seeds go down in the soil. So maybe that's talking about a believer. Well, in many ways, that's not really the point of this parable. It's not trying to to tell you which ones are believers and which ones aren't believers. The, The larger point of this parable is, listen to the word of God you need to responsibly respond to god's word but i will say when you study this parable in light of the the whole of the teaching in the new testament the bible does make the point elsewhere that those only those who have fruit are true believers those who don't bear fruit if If you claim salvation and it doesn't work itself out in good fruit in your life, you can claim all you want to be a believer. Look at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, but you aren't a true believer. Regardless of what experience you've had, regardless of how much preaching you've heard, regardless of how much you've come to church, if you don't bear fruit in your life, you are not saved. You are not in Christ. So if you need to divide the line somewhere in this parable, divide it between these first three soils and the last soil that we're going to see this morning. So that being said now, I think there are good applications for believers of these first three soils. So as we listen to this, I want us to think carefully about how some of the issues with these first three soils can, can trip us up. And can hinder our own hearing of the Word of God. I think these are universal problems. And we sometimes slip back into these types of listening in our own lives. So you have to be aware. How is your heart postured toward the Word this morning? And how are you going to respond? So this point here, reject, is to reject these first three types of soils. And let's look at these. Verse 15. The hard Soil, verse fifteen, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Now, I want you as you're as you're looking down through this. Each uh, each of these soils is set up in the same way. Okay, so the first thing that you got is you've got the type of soil. It's defined. Then you've got every single one of these, they hear. The Word is sown, it goes forth, and the people hear. Every single soil, the people at least have a surface hearing to the Word. okay? And then the last part of each of these is the response that happens after the hearing takes place. They're all set up the same way, very, very well organized here. All right. So notice, every single soil... Every single type of heart here hears the word. And the point is not that you hear, it's how you hear and how you respond. So the first of these soils, we talked a bit about it last week, but this is where the seed or the word falls on the solid path, maybe the walkway in between two fields there, and it gets snatched up immediately. And so it's not able to do any of the work that the word does in one's heart. Now, as you're reading this and you see the the path, you think of the path being hard. You think of the word not penetrating at all. And that makes us think of some hardened hearts that we've already seen in the gospel of Mark. If you went back to Mark chapter 3, you don't have to turn back there. But as Jesus is getting ready to heal in the synagogue on the Sabbath, remember, uh, he's grieved at the hardness of heart that the, the religious leaders have there to him. And so you can think in some ways about hardness of heart here, but the emphasis in this particular soil is that the word gets snatched up before anything can happen. The seed gets snatched up. And who does the snatching? Well, here Satan does the snatching up. And it's interesting because elsewhere in Scripture, Satan's work is described as blinding the hearts of people. And if you think about it, hardness and blindness in some ways are similar. Nothing can penetrate the eyes that are blind. They can't see anything. No seed can penetrate the hard soil there. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And even, this is Paul talking, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them. From seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. A hardened heart, a blinded heart, is a heart that is unable to be penetrated by the Word of God. And oftentimes, this is due to the work of Satan. So, in the Gospel of Mark, you've seen this conflict here between the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Satan, The demons and Satan are working against Christ and they acknowledge that he has come against them. And so there's this conflict here. We saw it in Mark chapter 3. But as you think about that conflict, I think it's fascinating to see that Satan's chief tactic here is to try to snatch up the word of God when it is sown. He knows how important and how valuable and how powerful the word of God is. And so his goal is to prevent people from hearing and responding to the word. He wants to keep the hearing of God's word to a surface level. He doesn't want it to go anywhere else. And that's how he works. There's another time in the gospel of Mark where Jesus talks about Satan's work. Do you remember this? In Mark chapter 8... When Jesus finally reveals to the disciples that he's going to go to the cross. He's going to go to Jerusalem and be killed. And Peter responds and says, you're not going to do that. He rebukes Jesus. And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking about the work of God. You're thinking about yourself. You're thinking about man's works and man's ways. And so Satan's work here is to direct Peter's attention from God's work to his own life and to his own concerns and his own circumstances. So what does this mean for us today? How do we think this through? Well, we need to be people who treat the word of God, the seed of the word with careful devotion. And as believers, I don't think this morning Satan's going to reach into your heart and pluck up the word as it's there necessarily. I think you're safe from that. But I think you can even see from the story of Peter that oftentimes you and I respond to the truth as if we're letting Satan do his work in us. Peter had turned his concern from God's work and what Christ was teaching to himself. And that's exactly where Satan would want us to be. Instead of thinking about God and pondering how God's work and God's truth can change our lives, now we start to think about self. And in Peter's life, I think, when Christ was giving that teaching, the word was plucked up quickly. So as this first soil comes into our view here, be aware of having a goldfish-like attention span with the word. Don't let it get plucked up quickly before interacting with it deeply. Second soil to reject here, the shallow soil. Verses 16 and 17. Look there with me. These are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. The issue here is they don't have any root, and so there's no lasting faith that is found. They can't make it. This type of heart is unwilling or unable to make a long-term commitment to Christ. I don't have time to read it, but in Luke chapter 14, verses 27 to 33, Jesus tells the people that you need to count the cost before coming to him. Why? Why would he say you have to count the cost? We have to count the cost because endurance is a requirement. Endurance is a requirement. Now, it's God-empowered endurance, but you have to make it. You can't just respond with joy for a while and then say, eh, it's not really worth it anymore. You were never truly a believer if that was the case. Endurance is a requirement. Colossians 1, maybe one of the clearest explanations of the gospel, and I want you to notice in particular verse 23. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Notice what it says. If, indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Endurance is required. And it's required and it's difficult because of what he says here, verse 17, but endure for a while, then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Now, in our culture, it's hard to call what we go through persecution at this point, when you've got believers over in the Middle East who are losing their heads for their faith, but it is true. That we do encounter an increasing amount of social pressure regarding what we believe. I read an article this week about, uh, it was an NPR article, and the person that was writing it was arguing that uh, abstinence teaching, so abstaining from sex before marriage, was unethical. That was the argument that they were making. Unethical. Unethical. It wasn't just that it doesn't work, it's actually actually wrong to make this case to teenagers. And so in many ways in our culture, biblical morality is being seen as bizarre and increasingly out of step with the way the culture is going. And as that increases, as we maybe go further down that path, what will we do with the Word of God? That's the question. We were talking in Sunday school this morning. Some Christians are starting to adjust their beliefs on certain things to accommodate the culture around them. And that demonstrates that they have no root. Because when in, when tribulation comes, when persecution, when so, social pressure comes, they back off the biblical teaching on things. They stumble at what God has taught. And I think what this soil teaches us is that social pressure can be one of the biggest hindrances to a deep listening to God's word. If we're always concerned about what the world around us thinks and what people, what their opinion is of the word of God, if we're always trying to accommodate to the culture around us, then we're not going to be listening intently to the word of God. In reality, we've put the opinions of the culture above the word. And so we're not going to have a deep understanding of the word and a listening of the word that produces good fruit. And so we can't allow our response to God's word to be dictated by the culture around us. So two of the three soils. The third one is the thorny soil. Verses 18 and 19. Let me read this to you. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, again, they hear, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So in this passage, the seed grows, but there's no fruit that's there. Why? Well, three reasons for it. Look at verse 18, or verse 19, sorry. First of all, the cares of the world. What are those? Well, the cares of the world are actually not sinful things. These are just the responsibilities that you and I have in everyday life. These are actually good things. It's the normal parenting, working, friendship, hobby, responsibilities that we have that are really good, God-given things But these responsibilities and these cares can get in and they can become so overwhelming that they choke out our response to the word of God. And they keep us from bearing fruit. That's one. Second, verse 19, the deceitfulness of riches. Now, again, it's not wrong to have great wealth. But it's the promise of wealth here that is often deceitful. Wealth promises us something. And here's the kicker for this. This is not just talking to people who really do have a lot of money and possessions. Those with far fewer possessions can be equally guilty of this desire being deceived by wealth. I love how this one author describes this and I wanted to read it to you. The greedy person's attachment to wealth can wear many faces. An overflowing shopping cart or a single purchase a stock portfolio that is aggressive or conservative a wallet full of credit cards or a safety deposit box with a few carefully guarded treasures a garage full of expensive cars or a closet jammed full of great deals it can affect the young the old and everyone in between in all of its varied expressions however greed is a perverted love Its profile has disordered desire written all over it. And here's why it's a disordered love. Riches are deceitful because they promise you and I, if we will just give our love and attention and affection to wealth and the procurement of material things, that love will be returned with satisfaction, security, and joy. That's what you'll get if you give your devotion and attention to wealth and riches. And the problem here is is that material goods can never bear that weight of love and affection. They can't fulfill that promise that is being made to you. That's why they're called a disordered love. And that lie that wealth tells to us will very often keep us from properly hearing the word of God because we're so consumed with the promise That wealth holds out to us. Thirdly here. Look at verse 19. The desires for other things. Again the word desire. Is not inherently sinful. You cannot help but desire. You were made to desire. Your heart is a love pump. One author has said. The problem is when your desires. Get aimed at the wrong things. That's what he's talking about here. What do you want? Your wants will impact how you hear the word of God. And oftentimes we don't process that through when we come to listen to scripture. So what can we say here about all of these faulty ways of hearing? The thorny soil, the shallow soil, the hard soil. I think we can say that these are dispositions of the heart. And the problem with all of these is that these three dispositions of the heart are like a catcher who has his back to the pitcher. They're positioned in the wrong way. You're never going to get what you need to get out of the word with these, with your heart positioned like this. One author said this, the first three types of hearing thus imply a quick superficial hearing in one ear and out the other without effort or heeding. Satan, persecution, the cares of the world spell havoc for those who give the gospel only a casual hearing. So rather than this casual hearing, we want to give the word of God a deep and abiding hearing without distraction. That's when we'll bear good fruit. Four ways to ensure a proper response to Jesus. The last one is obey. And in many ways this is a natural process, right? Good trees bear good fruit. That's what they do. If you have a healthy tree, it will grow fruit. If your tree is not growing fruit, it is not a healthy tree. Look at the difference here in verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who they hear the word, but look what else happens. They accept it and bear fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Rather than just hearing, they accept the word. They go to a deeper level of engagement with it. And then they put the word into practice. This goes far beyond a casual encounter. It's not a surface-level hearing. They are engaged with the word. They're interested in the word so that they can have fruit grow in their lives. Now, if the reality here is that the goal is fruit, how do we ensure that our listening of the word will go beyond a surface level to good fruit? How do we make sure we have good soil in our hearts? Well, One of the ways that you can pursue a full acceptance and obedience to the word is having a group of people who you are actively engaged with in talking about the word at a deeper level. I mean, the Bible tells us that this is a requirement for us. Did you know this Hebrews chapter three, listen to how in your face, this text is take care brothers, lest there be in any of you, an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So you don't want an evil unbelieving heart. Here's how you remedy that and fight against that. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today why do we need the exhortation that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin sin is lying to you all the time every time you're tempted to sin you have been you have been told a lie sin promises satisfaction promises joy It's not going to affect you that much. It's not going to affect other people that much. You have been lied to every time you're tempted to sin. And as it is so easy to believe those lies. And when we believe those lies, that's what causes us to sin. And so we need one another to say, don't believe the lies of sin. Exhort one another day after day. But then look how he finishes this for we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We need each other to help to hold our original confidence firm to the end. So we have to be consistently involved in conversations, talking about the word, applying the word to our daily lives. How do we do that? Now here's the beauty of Woodhaven Bible Church, okay? We have small groups that are specifically made for this. And I'm serious. This is not just, hey, I want to promote this program. (laughs) I'm serious. This is why we have small groups. It's to fulfill this passage right here. It's to ensure a deeper, more engaged hearing in the word of God. Because you're not just listening and then going away and getting involved in the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. You're listening and then you're coming back. And you're talking about the word and you're engaged in the word. Small groups are a time where it's not 45 minutes of lecture. It's people getting together and saying, this is how I'm applying the word in my life. This is how it's working itself out here. I'm struggling making application here. You all help me do this. That's the exhortation that is taking place in our small group time. That's the day after day. Encouragement that we need. So, sign up for a small group. <laughs> if you haven't yet, I'm serious. We have five of them. They meet at different times, different locations. Each group has room right now. It'd be a wonderful chance for you to fulfill this passage and to actively engage the word so that you hear it accept it and bear fruit that's the goal if we're going to move beyond casual listening it has to be purposeful engagement intentional engagement with the word and so we need something like a small group to make that happen now here's the encouraging thing about this passage to me all right it's all been challenged this morning but look at this look at the end of verse 20 Those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. And look at the different levels of fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Not every response is going to be the same. Not everyone is going to bear bushels full of fruit. But for true believers, real fruit will grow on the tree as you respond to the word of God. That's what God's word does. It produces fruit in us. Scripture changes us to become different people. But that's the beauty of the body of Christ. It doesn't all look the same. We're not going to all grow at the same rate. And that's another reason we need one another. So. Trust the Lord to do this work. But our responsibility is to hear, accept, and bear fruit. If you find yourself this morning in these first three soils... I would encourage you to humble yourself before the word, go to God, ask the Holy spirit to soften the soil of your heart so that the word can penetrate so that you can accept it. And so that you can respond in obedience and faith. Let's pray. God, again, we're so thankful for your word. I pray that even now that we would recognize how, significant the Bible is in our daily lives, the light and life that your word brings. And I pray that we would respond appropriately and that we would go out and bear fruit. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your spirit in making that happen in our lives. And we love you in Christ's name. We pray. Amen.